Welcome to Unwanted Guests, the podcast that teaches you about insects and other pests that may join you in and around your home. It's brought to you by Texas A&M AgriLife Extension and the Texas A&M Department of Entomology. We're your hosts, Wizzy Brown, Robert Puckett, Molly Keck, and Janet Hurley. This episode of Unwanted Guests, we're going to be talking about a specific type of termite that a lot of people ask questions about, and those are the Formosan termites. So I'm going to kick this off to Robert first. Can you tell us a little bit about how you can tell if you have Formosan termites? Yeah, so there's a there's a number of um, differences between our Formosan subterranean termites, our native subterranean termites, uh, when it comes to identification. Probably the easiest um, characters to look for actually belong to the swarmers or the alates. Um, so Formosan termite swarmers um, differ from our native subterranean termite swarmers in, the, in, in that they have hairy wings, but it, this does require some pretty good magnification to see. So they have the, uh, loads of uh, tiny little hairs up and down their wings. Um, but if you don't have the luxury of, of um, you know, assessing swarmers, which are typically only available um, from the colony at, um, during a short window of the year. Um, so, and, and actually in, in um, younger colonies of Formosan subterranean termites, you won't even find any swarmers. So, so uh, um, maybe a more reliable um, cast to assess for identification of these colonies or these species is the, the um, soldiers. So all of our subterranean termite species have a cast of soldiers, sort of the defense force of the colony. And um, one of the telltale signs of, of um, soldiers is that they have um, sclerotized or hardened heads. Um, and so if you look at the heads of Formosan subterranean termites, um, they tend to be sort of teardrop shaped, um, whereas our um, native subterranean termites if you look at their heads from top down, they've got sort of long parallel sides. They're sort of blocky looking, whereas the Formosan um, soldiers have more of a teardrop shaped head. And then, you know, uh, you know, going going beyond that, I mean, there are some there are some signs that we um, that we look for in terms of the behavior and activity of the Formosan termites. They they build what we typically refer to as carton nest. Um, so this is sort of a conglomerate of, um, you know, chewed bits of wood and feces and saliva that they use to actually create a nest in, in, in uh, cavities, um, wall voids or living trees. And we'll talk more about that later, I'm sure. But, but if you find carton nesting and you can distinguish it from, from damaged wood, then you can be sure that you're dealing with Formosan subterranean termites. So I just want to clarify a few things there. First of all, to identify what type of termite you have, regardless of what type of termite, you are going to need a soldier termite or a reproductive termite. Correct. And with the Formosan subterranean termites on the wings, you said that they have hairy wings, but I don't want people to picture like huge hairs coming off of the wings. These are very small short hairs that you're going to need to have magnification to see. That's the, correct. Yeah. The other thing you mentioned that they swarm at certain times of the year. And typically that is in May here in central Texas. And of course, 
depending on where you are in Texas, this is going to be different depending on, you know, if you're in the Valley or if you're in the panhandle, it's going to vary. But usually on average, we call these the Mother's Day termite because they swarm typically around Mother's Day. And these are also different from other termites in that they do not swarm during the day. They swarm at night. Yeah, that's right. Just just as night's coming on, um, that they'll push out their swarmers. Um, whereas, yeah, as you say, our, our native subterranean termites, you'll often see those during the morning time. But I will say, you know, as you mentioned, um, we think of these as Mother's Day swarmers, and that's true. But even, you know, we, we did a study um, years ago where we tracked the swarm time of Formosans on Galveston Island. So a fairly restricted area that we were sampling. And, and there was um, quite a lot of variation from one end of the island to the other. So you could, you know, within, so we kind of say within a week or two on either side of Mother's Day, and, and we would have that degree of variations sometimes even on that, that small island. And something else that you also alluded to earlier, you're talking about subterranean termites, but you're talking about native subterranean termites and then these Formosan subterranean termites. While they're both subterranean termites, the ones that are native to Texas are not the Formosans. We have Formosan termites and another species that occurs here naturally. So there are more than one species of native or uh, subterranean termite in Texas. So where did the Formosan termites come from and where do they occur in Texas? It's kind of sporadic if I remember correctly. Mm -hmm. Yeah. So they're, they're native to Southeast Asia. Um, and, and really, so if you think, so they get their, their common name, the Formosan subterranean termites in Taiwan used to be Formosa. Um, and that's where they were, um, I think the type specimens were originally collected from, but um, yeah, so, so think Southeast Asia, and then they made their way to the Hawaiian archipelago, um, but before Hawaii was uh, one of the United States. And then there's an idea that they traveled from, um, traveled along in, in wooden materials, um, crates, pallets, et cetera, that were returning from the Pacific theater of World War II and uh, got into the United States through, well, it's kind of unclear, but we think through um, Louisiana and then have spread out um, pretty far and wide in the Southeastern United States, including Texas. And yeah, I, I can't remember how many counties we have. I think it's close to 40. Um, and uh, yeah, as you say, they're, they're sort of dotted along the landscape. And I think, you know, if, if, if you were to take a look at that map, you would see these little clusters of counties. And then sometimes you'll have a county, um, you know, that, that's not highlighted as being um, positive for Formosan termites. The reality is they're probably in a lot of counties that they have not yet been discovered, uh, in which they have not yet been discovered. And so, yeah, they, they move around. Uh, pretty quickly. We, we got them in Brazos County uh, about 10 years ago now. And now we there's lots of different uh, areas of, of Bryan and College Station where we find them. So you mentioned that they're in Galveston. So we definitely have them down there along the coastline. We have them in College Station. I know we have them here in Central Texas. Definitely do. And it, but even when we 
we have them. It's not that they're widespread. Usually in my experience, they're kind of clustered in even like in the Austin area itself. They're usually in certain areas of Austin, not necessarily everywhere. And again, that could be that those are just the people that are reporting them to me, or it could be that they're actually just clustered in those areas. I, I don't know. No, I, I think that tends to be the case. Um, you know, they, they, over time, their range, even in a, um, you know, sort of defined small geographic area, tends to grow um, as, they, as colonies reach maturity and pump out swarmers. We know that the swarmers don't fly very far on their own. You know, there've been a lot of mark recapture studies. Looks like you know, maybe three quarters of a mile to a mile um, is the distance that the swarmers will will move on their nuptial flights. Um, so, so yeah, they they tend to expand their range, just just like any invasive you know social insect. And so you know, maybe in the future we'll <laughs> we'll have a much wider, uh, wide, more widespread. Um, uh, population range in Texas, but for now, yeah, they're pretty isolated. Is this one of those insects that needs to be reported to us or TDA so they can mark counties that haven't yet had records? Yes, for sure. So, um, yeah, we, we don't necessarily need to know, um, new records within a county that was known to have them, but certainly if, um, uh, pest management professional or homeowner runs into these and, you know, you know yourself to be outside of the counties for which they are known. Yes, uh, the Texas Department of Agriculture um, is tracking um, this species of invasive termite in our state. And our listeners can find that map that has the counties on it on the Texas Department of Agriculture website. And that may be hard to navigate. So if you do a search for Texas Department of Agriculture and Formosan termite, you should be able to get to the map. One of the things that I often get when people have Formosan termites and homeowners call me asking for questions is they have this impression or belief, and I don't know where it comes from, that these are a worse termite or more dramatic termite to have than the native subterranean termites. And a lot of times they tell me it's because they're told that they do more damage or they are more voracious in their feeding habits. Can you speak a little on if they are worse or not? And if so, why? Yeah, you know, I, I've addressed this, um, you know, in presentations um, a number of times. I, it, 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 the reality is that there are some studies that suggest that a, a mature colony of Formosan termites, well, out, we know them to be larger than our native subterranean termite colonies. That's the first thing. But then, you know, and how does wait, that relate? What's I'm that? sorry. By larger, do you mean they take up more space or there are more termites present or both? Yeah, kind of both, right? So more, more termite, worker termites in, in the colony. So more mouths to, to feed. But then the question is, does that relate to degree of damage? And there, there have been a number of studies that have, have attempted to quantify um, 
if you take equal sized colonies of Formosan termites and native subterranean termites, and you expose them to an amount of wood, and you allow them to feed on that wood for a period of a year, um, is there a difference? You know, do, do Formosan termites consume more, um, you know, in, in the case of our houses and wooden structures, you know, more, more framing wood and, and potentially cause more structural damage? And the reality is, yeah, there is a difference, but we're talking about, you know, they, they typically measure these in, you know, inches of two by four, right? Well, so if you give a mature colony of uh, subterranean termites, um, access to lumber, they'll, they'll start to consume it. But the, re but the reality is that there's a statistically significant difference in the amount that Formosans will remove, but, you know, actually that doesn't relate to a whole lot of, of material, right? A couple inches more over the course of a year. Um, and so from that perspective, yeah, they may not do uh, significantly more damage to your structure that you, that you would be able to measure. But one of the things that they do is that um, our, our native subterranean termites have, have to uh, maintain contact with soil outside of the house or soil that they find in the house in some really peculiar situations. Um, and as a result of that, they've got to build shelter tubes if they're gonna be um, crawling onto the house from the outside. Now they can slip in through cracks and foundations um, but, but the reality is that shelter tubes are, are quite apparent. Now, for most in subterranean termites, the entire colony can move into a structure and they can set up uh, a carton nest that we mentioned before inside like a wall void or in an attic or some tucked away space in a house. And they can operate from that, from that situation for a long period of time before they're discovered. And so in that case, yeah, I mean, you know, if they're not, if they're not, um, observed by a pest management professional or a homeowner and discovered for, for years at a time, of course, they can do a significant amount of damage before discovery is made. And so, yeah, I worry a little bit about that, um, but yeah. So even if they are diagnosed or you have someone come out and they say you have Formosan termites, this isn't something where you have to sign a contract that day. No. Anytime that you are getting a termite treatment performed, you need to make sure that you are getting multiple bids from various companies. And then you are comparing those treatment options along with the cost. You don't, and I know termite treatments are expensive, but you don't necessarily want to go with the cheapest one. You want to make sure that you are getting the essentially the, the best treatment for the amount of money that you're spending. So you really need to make sure that you're getting things that you can compare and then taking the time to read over those contracts or bids before you sign anything. So don't feel pressured that you need to have something done immediately. Your house is not going to fall down around you. So you taking a few days to get those bids, make that comparison is going to be just fine. Yeah, for sure. And then, you know, you mentioned something very important there. Termite, termite remediation is an expensive service compared to some other aspects of professional pest control. Um, and, and the other point to make is that, you know, that I, I tell people, I, you know, I have a lot of folks that call up and they say, Hey, look, we discovered termites in our, on our, on or in our house. And they're imagining their house just being consumed before their eyes. 
the reality is, you know, if, if a person has the means to hire a professional to come in and solve their termite issue, um, you know, the amount of damage that those termites are going to do between discovery and the time that somebody comes in and, um, you know, works to remedy the situation is going to be far less, like maybe an order to the magnitude less than the damage that could have potentially been done before they were discovered, right? So the point is, you, you got a little time here. Um, and so, yeah, as you say, it's very important to interview a number of companies and, and really, really understand the service that they're going to provide and then uh, carefully consider what warranty that the company is offering for their work as well. So can termite treatments be performed by homeowners? This is a question I get a lot because there are products that you can buy over the counter or on the internet these days that are for termites. And this is a question when I get posed this by people, I generally err on the side of no, because if you are talking about termites on a structure, then my answer is definitely no, that needs to go with a professional because they are going to one, have the experience to access to certain chemicals that you may not be able to get unless you have a pesticide license. And three, they have equipment to actually perform that treatment in the manner that it is meant to be done. It may be that you need to drill across sidewalks or driveways. You may need to foam wall voids. You may need to get in and treat bath traps. If you have pier and beams, they're going to have to crawl under the house and trench around each of those uh, piers underneath the structure. So they have that experience. And so it's not that you're not getting your money's worth. That is essentially why a termite treatment is so expensive is because it is labor intensive and they are performing a service where they are treating usually in multiple locations to get to where those termites might be coming into the structure. Yeah. Yeah, for sure. I mean, I, I, I agree with you completely, Wizzy. I, I, I usually start that conversation um, by saying, look, I would never advise somebody without experience in treating for termites to take this on as a DIY project. So if you have the means, the financial means to hire somebody, then by all means, you, you, you certainly should consider this. I mean, it, you know, the, the reality is when we, we think about a, a termite remediation job, I mean, there are folks that are trenching around the house, as you mentioned, drilling through concrete, most of us don't have the tools to do that. And, and so there's an expense there. And then even after, um, you know, if you're applying a, a non-repellent residual insecticide, you know, imagine you do this yourself and you put everything back together and now you're just waiting, you know? Well, you know, if you don't have any experience with this, you, you, you don't really know what to look for, what to be thinking about. And, but, the, but people who do this for a living do have that experience. And so they have a much better feel for, you know, where, where to put termiticides, how to prepare the exterior of the house and the interior sometimes. I mean, often we're talking about termites that are entering from, you know, if, you, if you're in a monolithic slab foundation home, then, you know, you could have cracks in the house. And you got to have the right tools to find where they may be coming up in the interior. And it's, it's a very, very complicated process. And I think this is something a lot of homeowners just don't have a good feel for. 
Um, and that's why you probably, you get a lot of calls um, checking in on bids that folks have been given. They think, well, how can this right. cost $3,000 or just tiny termites, you know? Well, it's complicated and it's labor intensive, as you said. And I think that it's a different situation if people find Formosan termites on their fence in the backyard or a tree stump that needs to be removed or something of that sort. If you want to treat that yourself, go for it. But that's not a large chunk of money that you have invested and you're not living there. So I think that that's an important point to make. That leads into actual treatment options. So we, I'm going to split this up into pre-construction and post-construction. So if you are building a house, then that is going to have certain options open to you. And that could be either chemical options where you are doing a treatment before a slab is laid down, or it could be a physical mechanical way that they block the termites out of the structure. There are, I think, polyurethane or ethylene or something barriers that you can put underneath slabs. There are also mesh screenings that they can put around any of the pipe penetrations that will stop the termites from being able to crawl up into the structure around those pipe penetrations. Because I know when we think about that and you have the pipe penetration, like a pipe coming up through the slab, you really don't think about that. It's like, well, the concrete or it's clear around the pipe. It takes a very, very small space for termites to get through. And a lot of times there is enough space around the pipe and where that concrete is that they can actually get up through that particular area. So you can put a mesh screening. Again, these are specialized mesh screenings that people utilize. It's not just, hey, let's go to the store and buy some stuff and throw it out there. It's put on there and installed in a particular way, but it will physically block those. And then, of course, for pre-construction, there are also baiting systems that you can use to put in the ground and have that as your pre-construction treatment. So post-construction, after you have already built something, those have a lot of the same treatments, but a little bit different. Robert, do you want to talk about some of those? Sure. Yeah. So... So as you mentioned, you know, with pre-construction, we're, we're basically trying to protect the house before it's built on top of, if we're building a, a slab foundation, before it's, you know, the wood is added above the slab. Um, and those, those can be very effective. One thing to mention also is that now we, we, um, there are approved uh, borate applications to the, the framing wood before a house is built. So basically we're, we're applying a, a compound um, to the wood um, that, that um, penetrates the wood to some depth if termites find locate that wood and then feed on it in the future presumably that active ingredient will be there and kill them for for many many years whereas our residual insecticides that we put into the onto and into the soil underneath the slab foundation those tend to begin to uh, break down um, fairly quickly you know we say five to seven years and and those compounds are broken down to the point that they they're not no longer protecting the structures 
So we have to think about post-construction treatments for termites. Um, and, and those really sort of fall into uh, a, a, couple of, uh, a couple of classes. So we've got our residual insecticides, termiticides that are applied to the soil around the house um, against the structure. So we, we mentioned earlier trenching and drilling through concrete. This is what we're talking about. We're, we're building a trench, we're, we're drilling holes through concrete so that we can apply termiticide to the soil um, uh, abutting the house. And uh, you know the, the, those will last for many years as well. So the idea is with termites um, have to tunnel to, through that soil to reach the house, um, the house is protected because they'll begin, begin to die as, as a result of coming in contact with those, those compounds. Um, and then there's baiting systems. Um, so, so baiting systems are, are a fairly uh, recent advance in, in sort of the technology that we use to control termites. So these, these rely on a, um, a cellulose matrix that carries a chitin synthesis inhibitor as an active ingredient. And so the idea is if termites are forging in the soil, uh, one of the members of the colony finds a bait station, um, then they'll take some of that material as food and recruit nest mates to the bait station. And um, they'll begin to feed on that material. And over time, this will impact the colony um, and, and hopefully kill it. Um, yeah, and then there, there are some uh, residual, uh, residual insecticide granules. Um, these aren't as widely used um, for, for termite management as maybe they were at one time, but, but yeah, so that, that really represents our sort of post-construction treatments, unless I'm forgetting something. Wizzy, can you think of something else? I, I don't think so. Yeah, I, think I, do, I do want to point out to people because I get this question a lot. If you have somebody come out and they do a termite treatment and they trench clear around your structure and they put the termiticide in there and they're creating a barrier, if they're using a repellent termiticide, which again, you need to talk to them and see what they're doing, but you would need to contact that company if you are adjusting the landscape or the sprinkler system or something like that, because you could be breaking the barrier of where those termites would be coming or being blocked from getting to the structure. So that's one of those things you need to make sure that you read your paperwork and see if that's something that you need to do, because that is very important depending upon what type of treatment you have. Yeah. The, um, one other um, post-construction treatment for uh, remedying active Formosan termite infestations. In some cases, um, the, uh, the infestation may be complicated enough, or, or it could be that the, the colony has moved entirely into the house and you've got a big carton nest somewhere. Fum fumigation can become important. Um, and, uh, but this is, I think, I think fumigation is um, less frequently used than any of the other post-treatment approaches, just, just because um, they can be very effective, especially if the Formosans are foraging from outside in. Um, but, that, but again, that's, that's an assessment that, you know, most people with very little experience in, in, this, um, in this sort of endeavor would be hard pressed to identify for themselves. This is why professionals are very, very important when it comes to dealing with termites. What about foaming agent for 
Yeah. Filling up the wall space. Uh, there are foaming agents that they can add to termitocides to get into wall spaces where you may have termites and carton nests and that sort of thing. Oh yeah, for sure. So, um, you know, the idea here is that we've identified an area of the house that we know that there's active foraging. Um, so, so the foaming agents that, that you mentioned are, are, are really effective at, at dragging um, contact insecticides, in this case, you know, termiticides in, into, the, into the entirety of the wall void. And of course, as the, the foaming agent dissipates, it leaves the residue of, of contact insecticide on all surfaces in those wall voids. So this actually um, does get used quite frequently by pest management professionals that are dealing with termite infestations. In, in particular, I should say in particular on interior walls that are without insulation. Um, insulation on exterior walls makes foaming those, those void spaces um, a little more complicated. Especially with a lot of the insulation that they're turning to now. Some of the insulation that they're coming up with now are cellulose-based spray insulations, and that's essentially food for termites. So that's right. going to make treatment really difficult. <laughs> this is going to be a problem. I don't know if you guys have seen it, but they're also using natural fibers in some of the insulation to go for net zero green housing. Mm -hmm. And when you say natural fibers, what are you meaning there? Cause I'm thinking like stored product pest problems. Straw. Oh, okay. Thing, things like that. I mean, even some fiber. I mean, I've seen some that it's well-treated. There's other things, but I have seen some others. And then we all know that if you have a log cabin, I would think I'd be permanently on edge. <laughs> there are certain household structures in Texas that aren't really built for being around an area with termites and log homes would be one of those. Stucco seems to be oh, another totally. one in my opinion, because it kind of sucks moisture up and you can't see anything on stucco. So any, any home that has plant material climbing up the side, <laughs> it's a nightmare <laughs> for anybody that's doing a termite treatment or, you know, if you're the company that's paying for it, then, Hey, that's dollar signs to them. All right. So thank you for listening to unwanted guests. We hope that you learned a little bit more about Formosan termites. Remember if the pest control company comes out and tells you that you have Formosan termites, don't panic. You need to be calm you need to get multiple bids, compare your treatment options, and make the best decision for your situations. And as always, if you have questions, you can contact us. Or if you need more information, you can go to extensionentomology.tamu.edu. Thank you so much for listening. <laughs>